1: If you're a tennis fan, you'll love Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast as we move a little deeper into the month of July and a very very. Big series, uh, one that uh, is without question the biggest of the season uh, on tap tonight in Atlanta as the Mets and Braves will uh, meet with the Mets trying to cling to their position that they've had all season atop the division, and the Braves coming on like gangbusters. If you go back to July 1st and take a look, as we will here on this 11th day of July, back on uh, June 1st, The Mets were 35 and 17. The Braves were 24 and 27. Since that time, the Mets are 18 and 16. Not terrible. They've treaded water. They've kept their head above water. Lately, they have had a lot of trouble scoring runs, a lot of trouble getting key hits after being able to get a bunch of key hits early in the season. The Braves are a red hot 28 and 8. That's right. So they're now 52 and 35. The Mets for 53 and 33, a game and a half ahead, two ahead in the loss column. And really, there's been some stories for the Braves without question. Uh, Harris coming up and being in center field every day and hitting 300 has been a big lift, as has, of course, uh, Strider, who has done such a wonderful job. Uh, in the pitching department and has really given them a, a big lift since he has uh, joined in the rotation, and the Mets will see him tomorrow. Scherzer on the mound tonight, and the Mets need their big gun with DeGrom still on the sideline. Scherzer is every bit the big gun, and really even with DeGrom back will be the big gun uh, or a co Big gun because he's that good. But Scherzer tonight tries to set a tone against the Red Hot Braves, who have really seen some players mature. Swanson and what he's become, having a very big year at shortstop in every way. Uh, what they get from Riley, who uh, won the game with his 23rd home run uh last night or tied the game with his 23rd home run last night and then uh they went on to uh win the game um the bottom line is uh raves right now have been you know the more the more complete team they have clearly the better all around lineup the mets are going to have to go into the series a little shorthanded, no Morte, no McCann. And the question really is this. The Mets are in Atlanta and then in Chicago. The Braves will, uh, will play the Mets and then play the Nationals. How important is it, after being in front all season, after the start the Mets had, how important is it psychologically for this team to have the lead? At the break. How damaging will it be to their collective psyche if they fall behind the Braves before the break, if they have a rough series in Atlanta and have a rough week? Clearly the Mets have not hit in big spots lately. They have not hit consistently lately. They need more consistent offensive production. We know that. In a big way, we know that Alonso had gone ten games without an RBI, and when that happens, this team is going to struggle to score runs. There's no question about it. Escobar, who looked like he was warming, has gone back into a tailspin. That's been a uh, you know just three hits and one RBI in his last 29 at bats. He's gone into a tailspin. Uh, they have not gotten a lot from a lot of people in recent games. And again, the Mets early in the season, or even for a good part of the season, had really a, uh, an ability to hit in big spots, get the big hit with runners and scorers and get the big hits when the game was on the line. They have not been able to do that recently, and they have not been good at all offensively, and they really need a pick-me-up, whether it comes from Milanza, whether it comes from Lindor, the two spots you would expect it to come from. Um, Lindor's had a season where you can't look at his power numbers and be uh, in any way anything but impressed. I me. Mean, he's got 15 home runs and 60 RBIs. If he winds up with 30 and 110 or 120, that's a heck of a season, but he's hitting 239. You expect more. You expect him to be that complete player. But he has shown power. He has knocked in a lot of runs, although there's plenty of big spots where he could have really made his presence felt. But they need it from other places, whether it's Escobar or Smith or Davis. Remember, McNeil's not there right now on paternity leave. Nimmo has cooled off of late also. Although he's been a very consistent player for them this year, and has started to show more power, you know he has. You know he's been he's been fairly consistent. I can't even really get on him. He's been fairly consistent, and he has his home runs lately. He's hit three in his last thirty at bats. He's hit four in his last sixty at bats. So he's hit the home run lately. He's got eight on the season. Uh, But the Mets need a spark offensively in a very big way, and they really could use Scherzer. It's Scherzer, Peterson, and Bassett in the three games there. They need well-pitched games, and they're going to need some clutch hitting for them to be able to withstand this Atlanta team, which, as you know, has a lot of talent. In that lineup, and now has been really bolstered by the two rookies who have stepped up and done a very, very good job for them. But I don't think it would be the end of the world if the teams were tied or the Mets even fell a little behind. It does not mean they're not going to win the division. What it's going to do is give them a chance to look for that spark just like the Braves have gotten from Spencer Strider and Michael Harris, they're going to look for that spark. Are they going to get it from the minor leagues? Are they going to get it from a big trade? Are they going to get it in the lineup? Are they going to get it in the bullpen? Can they get it from DeGrom and Scherzer? You still have to think that if the Mets can get healthy performance from Scherzer and DeGrom the rest of the way and then just make the subtle changes that they're going to make anyway, whether they're in the back of the bullpen or in the lineup, they should be in very, very good shape the rest of the way. But let's be honest. The Mets had opened a big lead. The Reeves held meetings and said, hey, listen. If we don't get going, the Mets are going to leave us in the dust. Well, the Mets at one point looked like they were going to leave them in the dust, but the Braves have come flying back 28-8 in their last 36 games, red hot as they get ready to take on the Mets this evening in a very big uh, three-game series. Now, for the Yankees, the division's an afterthought. But whenever you look at them against Boston, you always want to make a statement off a four-game series the Red Sox were able to salvage some pride in this series. It was a weird series. It was a weird series defensively for both teams. There were comebacks. There were a lot of runs scored. Let's be honest. I mean, the Red Sox hit everybody basically except Holmes at one point or another. They even scored a run off King. They only guy they didn't solve was Holmes. They scored a lot of runs. They came back from two runs down to win. They came back from four runs down to win. They scored a lot of runs in the series. But all they did was split the series. Really, that's all the Yankees needed to do. You would have liked if the Yankees, after winning the first two games, had won another game, but it wasn't important. Nothing the Yankees do in the regular season is important unless it includes an injury. Again, you are watching and evaluating and deciding what needs to be tinkered with, what change needs to be made. There's a lot of talk about Gallo. Listen, I've told you all season – I didn't think Gallo would stay here. I didn't think he should stay here. I didn't think he would stay here. Cash is a big Hicks guy. He's going to give Hicks a long leash, and Hicks has battled his way back into regular status with what he's done offensively lately. He's shown some life. Gallo's an odd fit anyway, and somebody can use him. Because he does do a lot of different things. He does field his position. He does run. He does walk. He can hit the ball out of the park. So there's a lot of teams where he can play. Just the Yankees aren't one of them. And thrusting him into the middle of a postseason with enormous pressure where maybe a fly ball can make a difference, you don't want a guy up west, two career sacrifice flies. But it was a bizarre series in a lot of ways. There was a lot of weird innings with a lot of weird fielding. Breakdowns by the Red Sox fielding. Last night, breakdown by the Yankee fielding. But in the long run, what the Yankees are doing is fine-tuning. Finding out how they're going to use Chapman now that Holmes is the closer. Find out how they are going to utilize Carpenter and listen, you would much rather have Carpenter up in a big spot than Gallo or Hicks. So you've got to find a way to play him. Then there's that fine line with too much pressure physically on Judge if he's the everyday center fielder. although that opens up great flexibility for the Yankees in the lineup when he does play center. That shouldn't be too much strain, and you can rest him. You can't arrest him when he needs it in the second half, considering you have a lead that is insurmountable, and the Yankee lead is every bit insurmountable. The team is not perfect. It's not. It's got some question marks. It's obviously got some question marks in guys in the rotation right now. Every team always has question marks in the pitching somewhere. And it's got some question marks in the lineup. Although Trevino has given them a big boost, and he deserves to be on the All-Star team. He, he earned it. He's had a remarkable season. And the Yankees have been far better defensively. They've been crisp. That's the biggest thing. Is the, the, you can say they've been very crisp, and they've obviously gotten so much from Holmes and King and in all-world first half from Judge. The Yankees just go about their merry way as they head towards the break. The Mets faced with an enormous three-game series in Atlanta starting this evening. Some pressure baseball. Be fun to watch. Back in.
1: You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Not
0: too early to think about uh, football. And before you know it, it'll be here. We'll have our football Friday podcast each week. We're looking forward to that. We're putting it together. We'll tell you more about it in the weeks to come. I saw a list of the top 10 quarterbacks and the guys who even got mentioned for the list. As expected, Rogers was one and Mahomes was two. Allen edged Brady for three. Brady was four, then Burrow, Stafford, was ahead of Herbert, which surprised me a little bit. Then came Wilson, Watson, and Prescott. One guy who didn't get a vote for the top 10 anywhere. Last year, had 3,700 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, and 12 intercepts. For his career... He's won 120 NFL games. He's thrown 367 NFL touchdown passes. And he should have won a Super Bowl. His name is Matty Ice, Matty Ryan, Matt Ryan. I mention Matt Ryan because I think that Matt Ryan is going to have a very, very big year at the age of 37. I think he's got a lot left. He's really, when you look at it, had a very underrated career. Someone mentioned an underrated player. Here's a very underrated player. And I think he's got a lot left. And I think he's in the right spot with the right coach. And I think the Colts are a very dangerous team with Ryan, a quarterback. I look for that to be one of the real stories of this uh, NFL season. He didn't make that list. Maybe at the end of the season, it'll be a little different. Because he's had, he really has had a very good career. He's won 120 games, lost 102. He's played well in the postseason. He's 4-6 and in the postseason games, but he's thrown 20 touchdowns against seven interceptions in the postseason. He's had a good career. 367 touchdowns against 170 INTs. Been a very solid, solid player. Very dependable player. Really good, but not great. But I think he's going to have a very, very good season. We'll talk more about that, obviously, as we head towards... The football season, which, you know what? Training camps before you blink. Football, before you know it. As the 100 days of summer goes flying by, as it does each and every year. Emails when we come back.
1: Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. That's where you send your questions, your comments. We try to get to some at the end of each of the podcasts. Um, Mike from Holbrook, I've been starting to read up on Maris and the pressure he had playing in New York. Uh, the pressures were plentiful, to say the least. Uh, I was just curious: what were the New York fan, what was the New York fan's reaction after he was dealt to St. Louis? Roger Maris really got the short, really got the short end of the stick in, in New York. He came here as a very, very solid baseball player who had a swing that really figured to be good at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees brought him in, wanted him to hit home runs. He had a swing that was really grooved to pull the ball with power and to hit home runs at Yankee Stadium. He also had the benefit that he had the best offensive player in baseball in Mickey Mantle. And that's what Mickey Mantle was between 51 and 64. Mickey Mantle was the best offensive player in baseball, hands down. There's no question about it. Okay. The only one who could have given him a run for his money were either Stan Musial or Ted Williams. That was it. Uh, he was better than everybody else. Okay. I mean, he just was, um, uh, his last four years really took away from his... That's the only reason why he didn't have a, uh, you know, a, a OPS that would have been, you know, one. He had a point nine seven seven for his career. Same as Joe DiMaggio, as a matter of fact. He beat Joe DiMaggio by two-tenths of a point. How odd is it that one replaced the other and they had the same OPS for their career? Both of those are higher than most of the players that you would think of uh, when you look at the list. You know, that's a, that, that is really about home runs and walks, which is what it's about. But he also was a very good uh, average hitter for his career, wound up hitting two ninety eight, which bothered the heck out of him because of what happened the last four years. But Maris came there, and they wanted him to hit home runs. And batting in front of Mantle, he had 61 home runs and never got one intentional pass because Mickey Mantle was hitting behind him and hit 54 home runs. And obviously was a much more dangerous hitter. But Maris had 39 home runs in his first year with the Yankees, 61 home runs in his second year, then 33 in his third year. In 63 and 64, as the Yankees still won but started to get old, or older, he hit 23 and 26. Then he started falling off, having injuries, had a nagging year, missed a lot of games in 65. Ralph Howe, had moved upstairs to the general manager, thought that Maris was jaking it, which he wasn't. He had a couple of different injuries, including a bad thumb injury. He never regained his power, and the Yankees traded him off to the Cardinals. He went to the Cardinals and went to two straight world series and played very soundly for the Cardinals. Didn't hit a lot of home runs, but played very soundly, played well in the postseason. He played one year and he wanted to retire. And then Gussie Bush said, Hey, I will set you up in your, in your hometown, which was in, uh, in Florida. And Maris, you know, got very wealthy with the beer distributorships given to him by Budweiser or, you know, allow, he was franchised by Budweiser there and made a fortune. And, stayed an extra year and both years with the Cardinals that he played right field in 67 and 68 the Cardinals won the World Series both years I mean won the went to the World Series both years won it in 67 lost it in 68 to the Tigers um and then he retired he was not treated well in New York first of all he had a deal with Mantle and Mantle's popularity Increased dramatically when Maris came. When it was the run for the home run chase in 61, they all rooted for Mantle, not Maris. Because Mickey was homegrown, he'd been there forever, and he was their guy. And Maris had a, had a little bit of a surly way about him. I don't think it, I think he was misunderstood more than everything else, but he wasn't great with the media. He was very quiet, and he could be moody. And he didn't smile a lot. He wasn't the kind of player who was very outgoing or smiling a lot, and Mickey was Mickey. So, I mean, that was very hard for him, and it was very unfair. He didn't deserve it. He deserved better. They tried to make a feud between the two, although they were very close. That wasn't true. But when he left, I don't think anybody was upset from a fan standpoint. A lot of fans had turned on him and soured on him unfairly. So I would say he really wasn't treated very well. How would you compare, this is Mike in London, how would you compare this Met team to some of the teams that have done well before in the postseason? Do you think they have a better chance to win the World Series? Um, I think if they can, now I'm not going back to 69, but if you talk about the teams since, say, 2000, this team has as good a chance as any You know, Cespedes gave them such an enormous lift. He carried the team. Someone's going to have to carry the team that way. Cespedes really carried the team. Okay? They got a big lift from Mike Piazza. He used to hit so many big home runs when he was the guy on the team. But if they can have DeGrom and Scherzer on the top of their games, they could be really... Exciting. So that's really what you're hoping for. That's really what would make them special, is those two on the top of their game in a short series would make them very, very tough. Dustin and Hal, will you ever have any podcast to talk politics, even if it's not a full program, maybe just a segment on your thoughts on the country, the president, the metropolitan area, political scene, etc.? Uh yes, you know you're in that lull period we haven't started the new presidential cycle that will be right after the midterms which are coming up. I will say this. I was disappointed in how things finished up for Trump who I voted for. I thought he lost his way. and got all tangled up with his you know, massive ego, which he, we all know he has, uh, he refused to accept defeat when, really, for the good of the country, he had to accept defeat and accept the way we do things. And he really didn't, to his detriment. But I've been disappointed in Biden, who I voted for this past time. I've been disappointed in Biden in that I thought Biden would get elected and play to the center And be level-headed and play to the center. And if anything, he's played to the extremists. And I'm disappointed in that. I don't think he's done a good job. Uh, At the end, I don't think Trump did a good job. And I don't think that so far Biden's done a good job. I've been very disappointed in both of them. Bill and Oceanside. In my opinion, there's been a decline at the NFL head coaching position over the years. Apart from the guys who have been around, like Belichick and Tomlin, Who could you pick to coach your team amongst the current crop? Well, you didn't mention Andy Reid, who obviously is very, very good. Andy's one fault is sometimes he ignores his running game to a fault in a big spot, but he's very good. John Harbaugh is very good. And I like Frank Reich. I think he does a really good job. So those would be uh, the guys that you didn't mention that I will. This is from Mark. You were high on Donald coming out of college. What happened? Is it simply a case of Jets ruining him? Is it too late to recover? Yes and yes. I'm not saying Sam doesn't deserve blame. He does. But when you see a guy broken down to the point where he has completely shattered from a confidence standpoint, and that's what Sam Donald was when he left here, you don't know if he's ever going to get rebuilt. To play quarterback in this league well, You have to have an inner strength and inner confidence and a belief that you are not only the best, but that you are the leader of your team. You're the king of the forest. You're the lion. You have to be that. You have to have that mentality. Otherwise, the job is just too difficult. And when you lose that, when you lose even a faith in your own ability – and you're completely befuddled by your surroundings, you have no chance in the NFL as a quarterback. And that's what I think has happened to Sam. At this point, I don't think he's going to ever recover. It's sad. I think there was a point where he could have been a very solid quarterback, but quarterbacks go in one direction or the other, and he went in the wrong one. This is from Mike. Your buddy, Bill Simmons, had a take the other day that Aaron Judge was born two decades late. And if he was having this type of season in '98, he'd be the talk of the country and one of the most famous athletes uh, in sports. Your thoughts? Um, I think it's 50-50. I think part of it is the times. And I agree with Bill where baseball is right now, where the nation is right now. I think also part of it is Judge and Judge's way of doing things and Judge's personality. I think that he clearly has had a spectacular season. But remember, the difference now, and Bill might be forgetting this, the difference now is... Heroes in baseball are built in October. That's where legacies are made. And Judge hasn't had an October yet like that. He hasn't led the Yankees to the promised land. Let him lead the Yankees to the promised land performing at this level. And you watch. He will be an enormous star. That's where you get the payoff. It's in October. He hasn't had his October That's where it happens. Louis Mails, rest in peace, Paulie Walnuts. Have you ever met Tony Sirico? And can you speak to his uh, character on The Sopranos? First of all, yes, rest in peace, Paulie Walnuts. I tweeted when I saw he died the other day. I didn't know that he was uh, sick. Uh, That everyone should... Watched the classic Pine Barrens episode, considered by many Sopranos aficionados to be the single best episode ever. I went back with my son Jack, who had never seen it, and watched the Pine Barrens the other night, and we were laughing out loud. It was, it was, it was great. It was great. And I actually got a response from a couple people who said they, they went and did it. It's year three, episode 11. If you're keeping score. And it is one of the classic, if not the classic, Sopranos episodes ever. And it stars Christopher Michael Imperioli and Paulie Walnut's Tony Sirico. Have I ever met Tony Sirico many, many, many times? I got to know all the Sopranos guys. A lot of them came in our studio um I actually even did a couple of appearances where I hosted events where they were appearing. I did a couple. I even did uh, a couple at Kay's where not Tony but a bunch of the other guys, not not uh James Gandolfini, but a lot of the other guys were there including Paulie Walnuts, Tony Sirico. So, uh yes, I can't remember if I think maybe the last time I saw him was at one of those Mulcahy's events, probably five years ago or something like that. I haven't seen him much in the last couple of years. I don't know how long he's been sick, but I did know him pretty well. And like I said, I got to know, I'd say I know Sharipa. I knew Gandolfini really well. We had a very good relationship. I really liked him a lot. I know Steve Sharipper very well, and I like Steve Sharipper a lot. I'd say I know him the best of the guys. Dominic Eginis, I has come visit our studio many, many times. He's a talented man. And I've met the others uh, a bunch of times too. So uh, the answer is yes. And his, his, his character... The Paulie Walnuts character is such a unique character. He will live forever on The Sopranos. It's really a unique, wise guy adaptation. It really is unique, uh, even as from his hairstyle with those you know gray w- or silver wings that he had. Really, really, uh, let him rest in peace. He gave a lot to that uh, to that wonderful program. Iggy from upstate. If the Yankees had just left Jabba Chamberlain in the bullpen and did not try to make him a starter, do you think Jabba could have had a great career as a relief pitcher? Jabba's a real puzzle. He came up in a blaze of glory. He came up really like few players emerged to the major leagues. You know, there were the Jabba rules, if you remember. He was almost like a legendary figure at a very young age and handling him was something the Yankees debated greatly and they were really divided on how to deal with him did they cost him? maybe or maybe he was just going to be one of those meteors that flies across the sky you know the Yankees have had their moments with a couple of those guys Kevin Moss remember him? and what he did in the way he was gone. Shane Spencer, Kevin Moss. Guys who just emerge and have those that big month or that big first year or that big... Greg Bird looked like he was going to be a big slugger. So you never know. One year doesn't make a career. One or two months doesn't make a career. So it's very, very hard to say, but you know what? When he came up, Boy, he did make things very interesting, and he did get an incredible amount of publicity, and boy, he was good early. He was really good, overpoweringly good. And nice kid. I I can remember a day where I took my boys, and they couldn't have been more than three and five, or, you know, right around there. To the game, and I had them on the field early. I mean, they just running around with me on the field. And Jabba, next thing I know, they're in the dugout and they're bouncing on Jabba's knees. I mean, Jabba—he just he loved the kids, and he was just bouncing them on, you know, on his knees in the dugout. I mean, he just was a big kid himself. That was a crazy time, though. It really was. How about in Cleveland, the whole thing with the uh, uh, widgets or whatever the heck we call those things, the midgets or widgets or whatever the heck they were? Those little bugs. Remember that? Wow. Seems like yesterday. Just email me at uh, Mike podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments? Uh, we will do a couple of podcasts this week, including a special for the British Open, which is. Uh, A very interesting golf tournament this week for a variety of reasons. Always interesting, but this year, especially with what's going on in professional golf, that'll be later in the week. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Massanelli podcast today wherever you get your podcasts.